Hi, welcome to Speaking of Wounds, a podcast with today's wound clinic. I'm your host, Brian McCurdy, the managing editor of TWC. Today I'm here with Dr. Tracy Yap and Dr. Jenny Alderden, who recently were involved in two studies. The first of these was Team Up for Quality, Preventing Pressure Ulcers by Repositioning. The second of these is Angiosomal Vascular Occlusions, uh, Deep Tissue Injury Pressure, Deep Tissue Pressure Injuries. It's a case study. So welcome. Uh, would you like to tell me about the studies you were involved in? Sure. Um, the first, the second about the angiosome is a, a case study. So it, and the first one is a clinical trial. So the team up, we just finished actually and submitted our findings for the uh, team up study. The premise of the study was nursing staff repositioning every two hours has historically been used for pressure injury prevention. And the idea behind that is to offload the tissue on the pressure on the pressure on the tissues um, helps with blood flow and reduces injury and so forth. And there's really not a lot of evidence behind repositioning to say what is the ideal interval, not even really what angle you should be at per se. So we did this study to take a look at uh, using redistribution surface of high density foam mattresses, seven inches. So everybody had that. We were looking at the standard nursing home residents. So not those that are severely at risk because those that are severely at risk actually have a specialized treatment already, whether they have unique intervals that they're turning at or they have a low air loss bed and you know, there's all kinds of things going on for them. We were interested in the average, you know, low to high risk resident uh, in the nursing homes and whether or not we could reduce the incidence of pressure injuries. But mostly it was what was the ideal interval? Could we safely extend repositioning out to every four hours rather than doing this every two hours? Because every two hours, if you can imagine yourself trying to sleep at night um, and somebody's coming in every two hours, your sleep is disrupted. And already the environment in a nursing home can be noisy. Bells can be going off. People can be screaming in the hall. You could have somebody who has coded. And so the ambulance people are coming through the corridors. So already it's not the best quality of sleep. So if nursing is coming in every two hours and adding to that, that, you know, if it's not necessary, let's see if we can get rid of it. So that's what we looked at. We looked at every two, every three, and every four hour repositioning. And in fact, in the whole study, we had nine nursing homes involved. It was a four week intervention. We did not have one pressure injury. So it looks like for most people, if you use a viable mattress and you are compliant with the repositioning uh, interval, it seems reasonable to think that we could extend repositioning out to every four hours. Okay. Um, beyond those factors, are there any other factors that would influence the timing of repositioning? Sure. I mean, nursing staff, the way they provide care is uh, primarily whatever is the most pressing, pressing issue. So for example, if somebody's having a blood sugar low or somebody's wandered off, that's their priority that's their focus. And so repositioning sometimes falls by the wayside. 
in this particular trial, we actually used a sensor that was um, an individual sensor on each of these residents that transmitted information to a monitor. And these monitors were conveniently placed throughout the, the facility to show you the repositioning needs of the residents. So if you were overdue and your, your patient was overdue and say you were dealing with a blood sugar low, the rest of the team could see that because it would be lit up in red and they could go and reposition that person for you. So it, it improved teamwork as well. Okay, um, now do you foresee any challenges with implementing the uh, repositioning changes? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's, we're at the first stage of trying to put out our findings now. Um, you know, change is hard for people as individuals, let alone trying to change practice, right? But I think there, what we've done and it's solid science, I think people will give this consideration because obviously it's a better quality of care, better quality of sleep, and it frees nurses up to do other tasks, right? And so from an organizational st standpoint, of course, this is logical. Um, now for the other, would you like to explain the other study, uh, the case study, what you did yeah, there? I'll let Dr. Alderton take okay. that. Sounds good. So in this case study, the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel has noted pressure injury stages. And the stages are really based on visual inspection. So they're a little bit more like categories. And what we looked at was the idea that it's possible that different categories of pressure injuries have slightly different etiology. So for example, stage two pressure injuries could be caused by pressure from an external surface whereas deep tissue injury pressure injuries could happen because of a lack of blood flow to the tissue from inside the body. So we call that the difference between the uh, outside in etiology for a stage two pressure injury and the inside out etiology for a deep tissue pressure injury. So in this case study, we showed a person who had a surgery and after the surgery, they developed a stage four, a very serious pressure injury which started out as a deep tissue pressure injury and then evolved into a stage four. And they developed that pressure injury on a place that was not exposed to very much external pressure at all. However, the pressure injury that they developed mapped almost perfectly onto an angiosome. And an angiosome is a three-dimensional block of tissue. The angiosome is fed by a named artery and it's drained by source veins. So the idea of angiosomes is that we have these puzzle piece like pieces of tissue all over our body. And the interesting thing that Dr. Fife and Dr. Yap and I have noted clinically is that oftentimes serious pressure injuries, DTI, stage three, stage four, will map right onto an angiosome. So in this case study paper, we present the case of this patient. And then we also go on to suggest that some serious pressure injuries, DTI, stage three, stage four, actually occur because of vascular occlusion, because of an inadequate blood flow of oxygen-rich blood to an angiosome. Okay, now, um, could you tell me what do you think, what are the most important findings from this that you would want people to take away from the study? So clinically, understanding what causes a pressure injury is really important for deciding what we do to prevent the pressure injury. So if we're very focused on external pressure, which we have been for years and years, and that's appropriate, we've been able to reduce the incidence of stage two pressure injuries 
but our focus on relieving external pressure has not resulted in any difference in serious injuries in DTI, stage three, stage four. So we suggest that more research is needed and that it may be necessary to really look at what's happening inside the body in terms of perfusion. We might need to optimize the delivery of oxygen-rich blood, uh, thinking about this angiosome concept and thinking about the idea that pressure injuries can form from the inside out. Okay, um, and one more thing. How do you think this would change uh, how wound clinics do things in practice? So I can speak to you, I'm a critical care nurse specialist. In the critical care environment, we do a lot to prevent pressure injuries. That's one of our main, uh, our main thrusts is preventing pressure injuries. And yet we always think of pressure injuries only in terms of external pressure. So within the ICU, one of the things that we can do is we can optimize perfusion. We can look at things like what's the blood pressure, what's the hydration, what's the albumin for chalidoncotic pressure um, as a way of preventing serious pressure injuries. And I would suggest this is also true in the outpatient and the wound care setting because there are certainly still things that we can do to optimize patients' perfusion, uh, both working with physicians and also with patients themselves in order to hopefully prevent some of these serious pressure injuries. Okay, well, these sound like uh, two very interesting studies that you've been involved in. And I wanna thank you both for being here today and explaining the impact of them. Um, and I wanna thank everybody for turning into Speaking of Wounds. <laughs>